Thanks for tuning in to Tax Strategy Digest, where we explore the fascinating world of finance. Join us as we dive into the stories, insights, and experiences of experts, thought leaders, and everyday people who are making a difference in this field. Through engaging conversations and thought-provoking discussions, we'll take a deep dive into the latest research, trends, and innovations shaping finance. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn something new on this journey here with us. Welcome to this episode of Tax Strategy Digest. Today, our guest is Jonah Pallone. Jonah is a certified business intermediary and an M&A advisor at Midstreet Mergers and Acquisitions. He specializes in representing business owners throughout the Southeast in the sale of their companies and real estate while also running a podcast about small business ownership. Jonah, thanks for joining me on the episode today. Great to have you. Paul, thanks for having me, man. Great to be here. Awesome. And Jonah, why don't we get started with telling us uh, a little bit about your story? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a little bit of an unconventional story getting into the M&A business. Um, I like to tell people the, the first time I really found out about this business, I went on a facility tour with my with my current boss. We went into an ice cream in the kitchen of an ice cream store that he was selling. And I just I was excited. I'd never been around business owners like that. And um, I just absolutely fell in love with uh, the journey and seeing the ups and the downs of business ownership. Um, went to UNC Keenan Flagler for school. I've got a business degree, uh, but then I graduated, got into the real world and realized just how much more there was to learn about business. Um, so I've been selling companies for about six and a half years now. Um, and I absolutely love it. We sell everything from service-based businesses to manufacturing companies. Um, I never thought there would be so much to learn every single day. Still, there's still stuff that I'm like, wow, I, I, I didn't know that. It's a really useful you know, part of the toolbox I'm going to move forward and use. Um, so I love this business. I love helping business owners. Um, I have a lot of empathy for what they go through on a day-to-day basis. Um, and yeah, that's a little bit of the story. Perfect. And can you kind of explain the role of a, a sell-side M&A advisor? It, it sounds so wordy. I mean, what what it is does. it? It There's just not a good term for what we do that's like very well known by a lot of people. Um, yeah. You can kind of classify what I am as an intermediary at a basic level. Basically, I'm someone who helps people sell their companies. I represent them in the sale of their companies, similar to a commercial real estate agent um, in terms of what their role would be. Like I'm a fiduciary to my business owner clients. Um, If you've ever heard of the term business broker, that's essentially what I am. It's just for companies that are a little bit larger, typically, typically in the range of two to 50 million in revenue is what I try to target. Got it. And I mean, how did you get into this? You already kind of said a little bit you were um, you know, you, you were shadowing your, your current boss. You were walking through the, um, the store with, a, you, you said it was ice cream store, right? It was, yes. Yeah, ice cream store. So I, when I was a younger kid in school, I was always like, I would get good grades and I wanted to be a doctor. That was kind of my past. Okay. And then I shadowed a doctor at an ER and like, this is not at all what, what I thought my life would be. Um, and that was kind of the first time I was faced with, oh, like, this is what that means. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I always had good friends around me. One of my friends would always carry business books. And I asked him what I should do. I was like, man, I, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm trying to figure it out, but I'm very, like, very confused. It was my identity at the time. So it meant a lot to me. Right. And he said, let me ask my dad. And his dad recommended I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, if you're familiar with that book. I read that book cover to cover in two days and it changed my life forever. I was opened up to the world of business and business ownership and real estate and real estate investing. Um, and the, his dad who got that book for me 
is my current boss. That's Jeffrey Baxter. He started Midstreet. Wow. So I, I, you know, we started having conversations and I like to tell people that he basically became my rich dad in, in that in that sense. He mentored me through thick and thin and just taught me a lot of what I know today. So that was how I got into the business, um, you know, from from the inception of it. Um, I started doing just cold calls, cold emails, basically just being a business development rep. Um, wow. But I've done everything, everything there is to do in the business. Um, so I love it. It's kind of an unconventional story, but I like to tell it to people because it kind no, of No, that's, that's awesome. And so do yeah. you work with uh, business owners then in right before or how long until they're going to be selling their business? How, how soon should they start planning? How soon they should start planning? I usually like to tell folks two to three years is ideal because okay. if I give you a, a business valuation, which we typically do for free, typical M&A advisor does that for free, um, it gives us enough time to make adjustments for when you are ready to sell. So if we talked about the sale two to three years before you're really ready to do it, and I say, hey, your company is worth $5 million, and you're like, ah, I really want to you know, sell for 10 here are the steps we can put in place to get you to 10, just as an example. So two to three years is, is what I like. Um, but if someone's calling me and, and they really need to sell and it has to be today, we can still work with that. So it's all the above. Um, my preference is obviously to have a little bit more time beforehand. Um, I like to tell oh. people that, yeah. And, and like a lot of professions, like the earlier, the better with us. We're, that's why we try to not be pressure at all. Like no, no high pressure sales whatsoever. We're, we build our business on referrals and relationships and networking primarily. So that's why we do that. Nice. And what should business owners be thinking about? I mean, they're, they're obviously stressed out about prepping for their sale, but what are some of the ways that um, you're able to help them prepare and, and what are some of the key things you go over with them? Yeah, I'll, I'll name a few. The honest truth is that there are so many possible things that you could do you know, to prepare your business for sale that that's really why you need that tailored approach with a professional advisor who knows what they're doing. There's a couple of easy wins though. Um, the first would definitely be clean books and records. That's the first thing I would say. Um, I cannot underestimate the power of having a good professional accounting firm on your side when you go to sell the company, because what's gonna happen is you're gonna go through, let's say you find the buyer, eventually you're gonna get into due diligence where the buyer takes a look at everything that you've sort of advertised. If you have a bad accountant or kind of a mom and pop that doesn't really understand the M&A world, it will be a very difficult process. And I've been down that road a lot. Um, so I would say clean books and records will help you maximize the value for your business. That's sort of number one. Um, depending on the industry that you're in, maximizing as much recurring type of revenue as you can is always a great idea. So I, I like to specialize in service-based businesses. My colleague, Eric Sullivan, likes to do a lot more manufacturing and distribution companies. Um, for, let's just take an HVAC company. Um, if only you know 10% of their revenue is recurring and the rest is all new construction, that's gonna be less attractive to a buyer and they'll probably be willing to pay less for the business because of it. So just as a general principle, the more guaranteed the income that you have coming into the business, um, even though it might not be the most fun income to produce, which is a common thing, oh, like I really don't like doing the service work, um, it will increase the value of your company substantially. Um, that's a kind of a general rule to think about when you think about selling a company is what are the buyers looking for? Look, you know, they have websites that you can look for, you know, for private equity groups about what, what kind of characteristics they want in a company. You can try to match that. That's a great way to look at what you need to fix about your business. So I've there's, there's heard, a million, I'm giving you a couple. <laughs> no, that was, that was great. I've, I've heard a lot of different stories about business owners. And I want to know if this has ever happened to you where a business owner 
um, maybe they didn't report some of their income on their taxes and they said, Hey, yeah, it was great. We, you know, we didn't pay taxes on, you know, a hundred thousand dollars this year. We made it. It was great. Never reported it, blah, blah, blah. And one, they're admitting tax fraud to you, which is a bad thing. But two, when they are coming to you and they're saying, um, something along those lines, now their valuation has to be significantly less because they're not showing all of this revenue that they should be. Is that correct? Yeah. Correct. I mean, the cardinal rule is if it's not on your tax return, I typically can't count it. Um, yeah. Now, there are some exceptions to that rule, depending on sort of the, what the buyer is comfortable with. But in general, if it's if it's not on your tax return, you just can't. The, the buyer doesn't have confidence. It's a handshake situation. It's it's not ideal whatsoever. I mean, if you're planning yeah. to sell the company, you really want to you know do the right thing, follow the legal procedures and put everything on your books as, that you can. Um, yeah. You know, follow follow the right rules and laws um, for sure. Uh, otherwise, you can't credit for it. Another thing just to think about is when you're selling the company, there's going to be three people sitting at the table. Um, Jeff likes to talk about this. Um, there's there's you, the seller. There's the buyer of your business. Um, and then there's also the lender. So you have to think all the time, maybe you can get the buyer comfortable with something, whatever that is. Maybe it's a customer concentration issue in your business. Maybe it's a, you don't have enough recurring revenue, whatever the case may be. If you can't get the lender comfortable, which a lot of times these deals are, are financed, it doesn't matter, right? They can't right. buy the business. So yeah, to your to your point, it, it's best to, you know, you're going to want to show as much as you possibly can. Um, and I'll obviously follow all the laws. Of course. And um, is there ever any situations where people actually inflate those numbers? So uh, kind of strangely, but they do they ever write that they got so much revenue and they paid extra taxes just so they could sell at a higher multiple? Or does that just never happen? I mean, so I've heard of that happening. I haven't personally been involved in that. Um, okay. What happens when you sell a company is you, when the buyer's conducting their due diligence, they're going to conduct, depending on the size of your business, um, a quality of the earnings. Now, the, the larger your business, the more intensive that quality of earnings might be. For a small Main Street, you know, deli, that quality of earnings might be, okay, let me take a look at your bank statements. It, it might even just be, okay, let me look at your P&Ls, your profit and right. loss statements. For a larger company, they're, a buyer's likely going to hire an outside accounting firm to conduct a quality of earnings assessment on the business. And that might cost 30 or 60 grand. I mean, it could even be more. They're going to tie all the revenue and expenses together. So if you're lying about that, it, it will come out in the end. Um, and I was talking to a good buddy about this the other day. Um, there's a good quote from someone I, I follow online, Jordan Peterson. You probably know of him. Yeah. Um, one of the quote, I can't remember it like word for word, but basically what he says is no one ever gets away with anything ever like like you can't really get away with anything ever it always comes back in somehow some way and i truly believe that and that's how i like to lead my business and that's how i like to encourage my clients to lead their business as much as i can yeah so in general very bad idea to do that agreed <laughs> on both on both sides uh yeah. i think pay your taxes and that's a very common theme especially with what i do we always make Correct. sure taxes are paid but um I, I just i've heard about that i see a lot of business brokers post it on linkedin that's why i wanted to ask yeah. um and and obviously that's a common mistake i think that maybe some smaller mom and pop shops will make um over time just not knowing and, and maybe they just um it could even be innocently to be honest with you it could it, um, that's usually what it is usually it's um bookkeeping and accounting just mistakes that are that are right. caught later and sometimes when it's too late sometimes you just can't give you can't get credit for something that's one of the reasons why the first thing i said was you got to get your books and records straight um in my opinion it's always worth it to just go the straight and narrow route obviously you want to take as many tax and you know 
you know, advantages as you can, you know, hire a good CPA, hire a financial advisor, you know, make sure you're maximizing all of that. But when you start to color outside the lines of, of what's legal, especially in a business sale, man, the skeletons come out of the closet. So I always recommend folks do the right thing there. It's, it's, it's tough to deal with otherwise. Agreed. You get these moments of acute stress towards the end. <laughs> yep. And what are some of the common mistakes then that you do see business owners making that um, maybe it's taxes, maybe it's something else, but what are just some of the mo the biggest mistakes that um, you try to help them avoid or, or you plan to help them avoid whenever you're going to help them sell their business? That's a good question. Um, it, I would say it's kind of a cop-out answer, but it depends on your industry and the size of your business a little bit. Um, one of the big things, like I said, is if there's an opportunity for you to make the quality of your earnings go up, I would definitely take advantage of that. And that could be in the form of like customer concentration. You know, if you're a manufacturing company, for example, and you have a hundred customers, but you know, only the top four represent 80% of your revenue, it's still a very sellable business, but it's going to hurt where you end up on your valuation most likely. So, you know, just optimizing for customer concentration, um, the recurring nature of your revenue, how clean your books and records are. If there's a lawsuit out there, you know, we've run into this before where we've taken on a deal and there's been a lawsuit and um, it's held up the deal and it prevented it, us from closing with that buyer and that lender. Um, yeah. Things like that can can really derail a deal. Anything I tell you, there's, there's like a hundred other things that I could go into and explain. Um, it's one of the reasons why when, when folks try to sell their companies by themselves, I understand like why I understand you know, conceptually that, that they would like to do it that way. But it's just, there's, there's so many potential pitfalls you could run into, you know, um, just take the example of, I mean, you sell your company for a million dollars. Let's say, oh, you know, yeah, I sold my business for a million dollars. What does that really mean? There's so many terms baked in underneath that. I mean, how much working capital was delivered, if any, was there any work? I could go down a list of 30 things and tell you, like, did you factor this in? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I would say that's, you know, extrapolating on that, not having professional advisors around you able to help, you know, walk you through problems and challenges that come up is another, another big one. I would agree. I think having the team of advisors there to make sure that everything happens smoothly, um, even yes. just for your headaches alone, right? Just for the time it saves you, the headaches, it saves you the effort. Yeah. Um, I think it's just so beneficial and crucial um, to any sale. I, I, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of business owners and real estate investors man and like i've seen the, the ones who achieve really cool awesome lifestyles and success and i've seen the folks who've made their life very stressful or maybe part of it was chance whatever the case may be but they're just not as they're not in a good place they're they're, they're a little bit desperate with their situation i've seen it all and the folks who are at this higher end who are more successful and have their ducks in a row and are happier and it's lower stress man they rely on the advice of professional advisors one of my favorite mentors he's there's like a henry ford quote where he's like I, you know i may not know the answer myself but i have a button that i can press to get the answer it's a little bit extreme but he is kind of that guy and he is the most successful person i know so i'm one to never be afraid of of hiring the right advice even personally for myself in, yeah. in the business that i'm in i you know i'm a big proponent of that so that's awesome and um yeah can we maybe talk about an example that you've had of a challenging scenario with the sale of uh, of a business and how you navigated through that? I'm sure you've dealt with some pretty intense uh, clients who were very, it's a, it's a really 
tough situation. They're selling their child, right? It, it, they put yeah. so much time, effort, years of their life into growing this um, business on their own. It's emotional. So how it's have you kind of- super kinda, emotional. Yeah, I'm sure you've had some difficult scenarios. Can you talk about one of them? Yeah, so I, um, I've got to be somewhat careful with how much I disclose here, but I sure. recently helped the owner of a, of a machine shop, which is not a typical industry I sell in, but made sense for me to take on at the time. Um, it's a CNC machine shop, great business. Um, they operate 24-5. They've got automatic um, machines that just run all day, basically. And you look around, you walk around the facility, you're like, okay, that's a money printer. That's a money printer. <laughs> it's a it's a really cool business. Yeah. Um, and my my client um, was an amazing guy. He, he was one of the, kind of the founders of the industry um, in this area that, that he was in. Just an awesome business um, with really good bones and fundamentals. Um, but it just it didn't show very well. It's a it's kind of a dirty machine shop. They made a lot of money. Um, they're making more than a million dollars a year in EBITDA. But it was a dirty machine shop in not the nicest area. Um, and so selling it was a little bit difficult because just getting someone comfortable with that alone was hard. I took a lot of people through the facility to try to find the right person with the seller. Um, luckily, we found an awesome buyer for that business. Um, but during the process, and here's where I'll get to kind of the, the challenge I had to solve. So um, we're headed towards closing. We're about two to three weeks before closing. And a minor issue crops up, um, but it's really important to the buyer. Um, and it was about an environmental issue um, related to the business. And the seller was willing to kind of ease up on it because they were very interested in selling um, and they wanted to sell to that specific buyer. Uh, but the buyer was getting very uncomfortable and starting to kind of lose faith that he was going to be able to, to do the deal. And the lesson for me was sometimes the buyer and the seller just need to get in contact with each other and need to spend some more time together. So I'll, I'll kind of zoom out. I'll, I'll leave that. I'll zoom out. When you start a deal, um, part of my job is to filter all of the tire kickers that come through a business. For that specific deal, we dealt with about 130 buyers. <laughs> That's wow. a lot of email chains. That's a lot of phone calls. It's a lot of making sure I'm allocating my time with the right person. A lot right. of buyers who are saying, Jonah, I'm, I'm the right fit here. I'm definitely the person who's going to buy it. It's like, I've got I've to stand tall and make sure I protect my seller's time because he can't spend all day filtering these inquiries. That's my job for him. So um, I guess I say that because when we ran into this issue, it had been kind of the buyer and me conversing for a while. And the time since we last talked with the seller and the buyer together alone, um, it, it was a little while since that happened. So putting them back together, getting them both excited again, proved to be extremely helpful for closing the sale. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was kind of the lesson I learned about that. A lot of lessons in one, but that was a, that was a fun deal to, to work on. That's sweet. No, that's a that's a really valuable story. I think if there's anyone else who's listening who might be a broker, uh, or if someone's a business owner trying to sell their business, yeah. I think they could take some nuggets from that for sure. Yeah, I mean, you want to make sure that as the seller's representative, you're saving their time and you're you're putting them with the buyer at the appropriate times. You don't want to completely stress them out. Here's a yeah. quick example on that. I'll just I'll finish on this for that point. Sure. Um, a lot of times when you go to sell a business and a buyer in inquires on it, let's say you have a really good first couple of meetings, they submit an offer, and now you're in due diligence, you know, where they're confirming everything and they're looking into the business. A lot of times, inexperienced buyers will send over a list of 100 items of things that they're, they want to know about. And as the advisor, 
it's not my job to immediately turn around and send that entire list to the seller. They would get so overwhelmed by what that is. They wouldn't, they probably wouldn't even start on it. Right. Right. My job is to start dripping requests and balancing that dynamic between the buyer and the seller. And that's also what happened in that, um, in that deal. It was a very similar situation. I got very large requests. My job with the relationship with the seller is, okay, what can we work on first here? And just charting out those requests to make sure we, we hit our deadline on time. So there's a, there's a lot to learn in this business. Totally. And what are some of the trends you're learning in your business right now or you're seeing around, uh, around these sales? Trends. Um, that's a good question. Use of technology is becoming very important. Um, folks that are on paper only for, for their businesses, um, like they have paper invoices and they're still not on um, software, are having a little bit more difficult time getting folks comfortable with that. Um, to some buyers, they see it as a benefit because they can capitalize on the inefficiency. Right. But it's a big headache to transition all of that. I mean, the, one of the deals we sold was an awning company. They transitioned everything from kind of paper to um, virtual electronic. It took them like four or five months. So, I mean, you're talking about tremendous cost and energy just to get everything loaded up into the correct system. So that that's one is technology is just more important than ever um, for both buyers and for sellers. Interest rates, I'm sure you're hearing all about interest rates. Where that affects M&A um, is, you know, to be honest, at the lower level deals, it's getting harder and harder for those deals to transact because it's squeezing out the the little guys. Yeah. Um, if you've only got $200,000 of seller discretionary earnings, uh, which is still a lot of money. I mean, you think about someone who has a job that makes 200K, that's a nice job, you know? Yeah. Um, those deals are getting harder and harder to finance. Um, we're looking at like 11 and 11.25% interest rates right now. They're just, they're, they're, they're killing those small deals. Yeah. So yeah, it's, um, I'll, I'll say one more would be just increasing levels of, there's so much dry powder out there. So many private equity groups and financial buyers who are trying to buy companies that what I'm hearing from owners is just there's been an influx of outreach. You know, yeah. owners are getting beat up every single day about people trying to sell their, trying to buy their company. Um, and what's happening is I'm, I'm, more, I'm talking to owners more and more who, have, who are already in the process of entertaining an offer. And it's one of the, in my opinion, that's one of the worst things you can do as a seller is just entertain one offer who knows they're exclusive with you without any competition in the mix or any professional advisors really that you're working with. Uh, the best thing to do is to start with a business valuation, whether that's through like an actual, you know, USPAP or a formal valuation or a business broker or an M&A advisor. Just get an idea of where you're at. It's usually free. Um, if you have to pay for it, it's it's usually worth it. Um, a lot of M&A advisors will do that for you. And it's just, it's so worth it because otherwise you have no idea really what you're worth. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of that going on, a lot of proprietary deal flow, which for the private equity groups and strategics, that's great for them. They're getting good yeah. deals, you know, but for the, for the sellers who are really my people, you know what I mean? That's, that's who I stand for. So I have the most empathy for it. So I'm always around. Um, they deserve to know what their company is worth. They deserve to get a good price. They, they shouldn't get taken advantage of. Um, so yeah, a couple of, I things. agree. And with some of those, uh, I know you're talking about technology, um, and some of the maybe more paper um, companies, are you seeing a lot of buyers who are only targeting those types of companies because they see that they can add value immediately and then potentially turn around, flip it as they um, increase, you know, the revenue and the um, productivity and the the flow of um, goods and services because of that added technology benefit? 
Yeah, I, I have seen that, um, especially for the companies that are kind of below the $5 million transaction value, because that's yeah. where most of the individual buyers are buying companies. Um, I have seen that. I, I, just in general, technology is transforming a lot of these small businesses. You know, uh, There's really great programs out there, even like Service Type. You know, looking at a demo of Service Type the other day, it's just it's so powerful for your business. Um, they're not perfect yet, obviously. There's There's issues that they have, but even just transitioning to QuickBooks Online. I mean, yeah. absolutely powerful tool, uh, being able to pull up your phone and look at your, your P&L, um, understand, just having really good financial controls like that. Again, I, I talk to a lot of business owners and the ones who are doing really well, they can pull up their phone and see how they're doing. You know what I mean? hundred percent. So, yeah. Well, but yeah, let's I, talk, I am looking at that. Yeah. Let's talk valuation, right? Say I'm a, say I'm a business owner. Um, I'm considering the sale of my business. Where do I start? Um, how do I figure out what it's worth? So there's the answer of literally, how do you figure out what it's worth? And there's the answer of what I think you should do. Okay. So I'll explain how it works first. How it works is you take your last three years of profit and loss statements um, and you, you basically chart them out and you figure out what the net income for each year is. Um, let's just take an example because it's easiest to use an example. Yeah. Let's say you're making $500,000 in earnings. Um, and I'm going to use general terms because I, I don't want to be too confusing. It's hard to digest this on a podcast. Um, basically, you're going to figure out what the earnings of the company are. That's what matters. It's not about the revenue, usually. What are the earnings of the business? What, are the, what do they look like over the last three years? Has there been a major spike? Are they going down? That's all related to how we look at the value. Then we're going to multiply your earnings by a number. That's called a multiple. And then we get your transaction value or your, your purchase price. That's at a, at a base level, how you value a business um, in the kind of lower middle market um, main street level. That's how you do it. Um, really what I would recommend is for you not to do it yourself, especially okay. if you've never done it before. I would recommend using um, someone. You can use an M&A advisory firm. Um, you can use a business broker if you're doing below, if you're, business is worth probably below a million or $2 million. You can use a business broker, maybe yep. local to your market. Um, you can also hire a third party valuation company to do a business valuation. It's just sometimes those companies don't like a lot of times they're not selling companies. Now they're operating off historical information. So the benefit of, of me doing evaluation is I can look at really what's going on right now, especially in industries that I've most recently sold in. Like I'm, I'm selling an HVAC deal right now. I know exactly where the multiples ended up. I, I can talk to the buyers on that deal and say, listen, hey, what are you guys seeing right now? You know, just just you and me talking. Um, and I can use some of that when I when I put the valuation together to give them a, a realistic expectation of of the value for their for their business. Um, one thing I'll say that, that Jeff always says at our company, if somebody gives you a valuation and they give you one number, they're crazy. <laughs> There's no you know, valuation really is more of an art than a science. But the right advisor will give you a ballpark that you can reasonably rely on. Usually what we like to do, Paul, is give people a conservative range that right. we feel confident we can get. And we try to exceed that range. That's what we typically do. And you mentioned at the beginning of this, um, this episode, you mentioned that sometimes uh, having recurring revenue is a little more beneficial. Does that reflect in the sales price, uh, that specific type of revenue? It does. Okay. It does. How, yeah. how does so, that impact it? Yeah. So here's how I look at that, right? So you've got your earnings, which is its own calculation. 
Okay. You run the numbers, you figure out the net income of the business, you make a series of adjustments. It's more complicated, but I'm simplifying for this purpose. And you figure out what the earnings of the business are. Let's say it's, again, let's say it's 500,000. Now you have to apply a multiple to that. How do you find that multiple? Well, you go out into the market and you look for comparable sales, just like in real estate. You try to figure out some representative companies that look similar to this business. That's the subject that we're talking about. That's really what you do. You find kind of a range of multiples that are possible in that data set. And then you say, okay, now for this business that I'm looking at value, where does it fall? Really what I like to do is literally on a piece of paper, write a positives and negatives chart. And I say, okay, what are the positives of this business? Well, it's got 60% recurring revenue. It's got clean books and records. Um, What are the negatives of this business? No management team in place. The owner is still very involved in the business. Um, The vehicles are a little bit old. Um, Maybe there's a little bit of a customer concentration. Whatever it is for that business, right? I kind of chart it out and say, where do I think this business should fall on this range of multiples? And that's how I get to a a relative price. Got it. And and look, so I'm no expert in this. I've just kind of heard through the grapevine. We have um, clients who call us asking, you know, hey, I'm selling my business, et cetera, yeah. right? So they're they're working with the business broker. So they're the ones obviously dealing with the, the price and helping them set it and determine it. Um, yep. But I, I am curious. So I've we've heard a lot from um, like software as a service companies lately. It, it's kind of yep. been a rising uh, star, I would say, with like the tech space um, because their margins are so good. Yeah, crazy and because they're selling a software, right? Yeah. And so it's pretty minimal. And then they've got so much recurring revenue. So um, how does that reflect in their price? I mean, we've been seeing yeah. multiples that are pretty absurd. Oh, yeah. And and I'll just be completely honest with you, Paul. Those are a bit different. Those are really not what I focus on okay. myself. I'm more brick and mortar, blue collar, manufacturing, service-based business, like an HVAC landscaper, or pest control or a distribution, you know, distribution type company, retail. Um, for e-com, I mean, they're they're valued differently and they're specialist players in that market. They use a lot of annual recurring revenue, monthly recurring revenue. Um, and it really depends on who the buyer is. That's a good kind of principle just to remember, regardless of what industry you're in, is what is your business worth? What someone's willing to pay for it. So if I can get a strategic buyer who's an HVAC company, you know, a hundred miles away, uh, looking to expand into your market, and you know you've got a decent amount of recurring revenue, and your customer profile matches theirs. I could probably get you a really nice multiple, but maybe you know you're a, you're an HVAC business, and you're in a rural area that folks don't want to move to, and you only do design and build, and you know you work with new construction jobs or something like that. It's harder to find a really good buyer for you. So that that's just kind of a good principle. The thing we do is. We start with evaluation, like I said, we give you a conservative range. And then when we really go to market, right before we go to market, we make a buyer profile for your company. We figure out what buyers do we think could could buy your business and we create lists. That's one of the most valuable things that we do is figure out what the buyer universe could look like. And sometimes you have to be creative. It's not always just very obvious a, a company in your industry. It might be a, a, a vertical integration. It might be a company in an adjacent industry. Uh, it might just be a private equity group. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of fun stuff all wrapped up in that. Definitely. And how does the real estate aspect of things get impacted with um, the sale of a business? So one of the key things, if you have real estate, uh, if your business is on a piece of property that it operates out of, make sure that your profit and loss statements accurately reflect what a market rent is. 
that's a very useful tip that a lot of folks miss. Um, the reality is that if you're a business and you're operating on a piece of property, that property is encumbering the business to a certain extent, right? It, it, it's the business pay has to pay a certain amount of money if it was in a market situation for that real estate. And so whether you're selling the real estate or just leasing the real estate, you want to make sure that's factored in. We can do that after the fact. We can we can adjust the numbers um, on our recast financial statements to make sure that we show the the market rent for the business. Um, but if you don't have that on there and you're showing, like again, let's say you're you're showing five hundred thousand in earnings, but you haven't factored in seventy grand in, in rent per year. Well, really, your earnings are four hundred thirty thousand, right? It's, it doesn't show a true reflection. Um, that's a that's a that's a tip I would say with relation to real estate. But in general. A lot of owners who own real estate associated with the business can choose to sell or lease the real estate. Um, if they're a larger company and they're selling to a financial buyer, like a private equity group or a strategic buyer, they're probably not going to sell the building with the business. A lot of those buyers are not interested in buying both at the same time or even being in the real estate business in general, just with their thesis. Um, that said, you can sell the, the business um, and then do a sale lease back on the building, which is a, a, an interesting topic. Um, usually when I work with a client who, who wants to sell their business, they're open to selling or leasing the facility. And that's, what, that's the kind of agreement we put in place. And it's very open and, and sort of a fluid conversation. If the buyer really wants it, well, sure, maybe I'll sell it. Um, other owners are like, listen, I really like the annuity of having you know, owner-occupied real estate. I want to just yeah. keep it and I just want to sell the business and keep getting checks. And it's going to be a triple net lease that we put in place. And now, it's one of the benefits of us being real estate agents in North Carolina. We can we can do both of those at the same time in the same negotiations. So, yeah, it's fun. Well, that's perfect. And um, as we start to wrap up here, I like to ask one uh, final question to really everybody who comes on this podcast. So, uh, what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Um, what's your inspiration? Um, tell us about it. Trying to make money, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, man, I, I love small business. I just love, it. I absolutely have a passion for it. Um, I love being around successful people who have a lot going on. The biggest thing I've learned since starting is just how many lives business owners affect. You know, this HVAC company I deal with, got 50 employees. That's 50 families that rely on him to feed, you know, to feed their families. Um, I love that part of the business. It makes it very rewarding for me when I am actually able to help those people transition to the next stage of their lives. Um, 90%, 95% of the businesses we sell, the, all of the employees stay on, or, you know, 95% of the employees stay on in the business. And, you know, you get that continuity of ownership, which is really uh, of, um, continu how do I say that? Just continuity of the business, I guess. And right. And you're really, saying, you know, you're helping their lifestyle improve. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe their kids weren't interested in taking it over, but they built this business over the last 20, 30 years and it deserves to you know, be passed on to someone else who's going to continue the stewardship of it. I love that so much. I'm passionate about small business in America. Um, I think that these massive corporations are very unhealthy for our country. Um, and I, you know, I want to see it, you know, I want to see small business owners continue to be successful and, and make the money that they deserve to make at the closing table. It's a very complicated, it could be a long process. They deserve to be around folks who know what they're doing and, and can actually properly help them. That's why I do what I do. Well, I love it. Jonah, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on. I had a blast getting to chat too, with man. you. If um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, where's the best way? I'll put a link to your LinkedIn down below, but is there a better yeah. way for them to reach out? Yeah, just go to midstreet.com. That's M-I-D street, 
www.learningcenter.com um, and you can find all of our information there. We have over 100 articles on our Learning Center. Um, you can find my podcast there. Currently, it's called Owner Operated. Um, and yeah, if you want to reach out to me, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to do so. Perfect. Well, Jonah, thank you so much again, and uh, we'll have to do it again soon. Paul, thanks so much, man.